Why, hello, Hooda Thunkers. This is your host, Zeb, for the next ten or so minutes. Why, lend me your ears, please. This is Season 2, Episode 12 of the Hooda Thunkin' Podcast. This episode is called Silent Winged Flying Coffins. Should be interesting. I want to start off with a personal story. It ties into the topic. I was a junior in college when my mom suggested she and I travel to see my Aunt Marty, uh, as well as my grandparents and cousins, in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. Um, Most people think of Las Vegas as slot machines and and, uh, other fun things to do. I just think of my grandma, my aunt, my cousins, uh, just visiting the family. While there, my mom got the idea to drive to Phoenix, Arizona to meet other friends and family. So mom rented a car and we drove five hours through the desert, because that's all there is between Vegas and, and Phoenix, just desert, just a few cactuses and dirt. But um, luckily, I have a good relationship with my mom because most guys wouldn't be able to stand such a road trip. There's actually a movie that came out in 2012 uh, with Seth Rogen and Barbara Streisand. Similar plot. They drove across America. Um, Streisand played his mom. But this was a, instead of driving across America, it was just five hours. I just thought it was funny. I did a mini version of the plot of a movie. But I had a lot of fun with my mom. I actually loved the desert landscape, the bizarre desert communities, and the hours of listening to each other's music's of choice. But without a doubt, the most memorable part of our trip was on our way back to Vegas. Just north of Phoenix is a town called Peoria, Arizona, where if they had their own newspaper, a tumbleweed probably make the front, front page. As mom and I were passing through... Uh, we spotted a faint silver glint in the air with the backdrop of that pretty pale blue cloudless desert sky. I said, what is that? Is it a plane? But it's so small. Uh, Then my mom noted, but there's no sound. There's no engine noise. What is that? So it was kind of funny. Five minutes later, my mom spotted a big white makeshift sign made out of plywood. In big black lettering, the sign said, glider rides next right my mom was my mom has always been an advocate for new experience so she decided right then and there we were gonna ride on a glider i vividly remember the shack that the glider operation was run out of standing on the wind and sand worn floorboards under the ramshackle roof i felt like i was on the australian outback seriously it was so run down but in a cool way The friendliest employee was a big white cockatoo bird. It stayed up in the rafters and said, Hello, about every 60 seconds. No lie. (laughs) That that sort of made it for me, the Australian Outback part. Mom and I waited for a few hours, so it did take a while, for each of our turns in the engineless flying vehicle, but it was worth it. The glider we rode in was small. It was just meant for two people. We had the pilot in the front, the passenger rode directly behind him. The glider was towed in, to the air by a metal cable attached to a motorized plane. So there's an actual plane with a motor that took you up. Once at an acceptable altitude, the cable was detached, at which point the heavyset glider pilot turned to look at me with a sinister grin and said, all right, we are now hundreds of feet in the air with no engine. Better hope I don't have a heart attack. (laughs) I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed flying through the air with hardly any sound. That's the thing about a glider. No engine, so it's just maybe a little bit of wind. That's about it. And at one point, the pilot let me experience zero G by dipping real quick. They dipped down to the ground real quick, and I felt zero gravity. It was awesome. It made me want to throw up, but <laughs> I did like the experience. It was awesome. I tried to look him up. I don't think the glider ride thing is even a – I don't think they're open anymore, but they do have a website. I put it on the blog accompanying blog post. 
Now, I thought this glider technology was cool to experience, but I couldn't think of a practical use for gliders past recreational fun. Little did I know that aviary glider technology was used by the military for stealth operations. Using a glider meant no engine, no noise, and very little chance of alerting the enemy. Pretty neat. Apparently, during the invasion of Normandy, that's D-Day, there was a company of glider men who launched a massive operation to deploy troops behind enemy lines. These crazy SOBs flew over one of the largest and most dangerous military operations in human history in canvas-covered, engineless aircraft. The only sound they must have heard were the engines of other aircraft, non-stop gunfire, and hundreds of explosions going on under their feet. All this knowing they physically couldn't just turn around and fly home. You know, they're, without a propulsion, there's no way to get home. That's a one-way ticket behind enemy lines. It's crazy. The glider pilots had no weapons, no parachutes, and no second chances. They had to get it right the first time or they were dead. They were behind the wheel of what would come to be known as the flying coffins of World War II. Yeah, that sounds like not a fun idea, but I bet those dudes are nuts. For the benefit of stealth, these specially trained pilots and soldiers got into notoriously dangerous and unreliable aircraft. To the Axis anti-aircraft gunners on the ground, they were the easiest targets to take off because they couldn't maneuver real quickly without an engine. So the anti-air gunners would just look up and be like, hey, there's one of those things that just falls. <laughs> they, can't, they can't turn or go up. So let's shoot that one. Um, Makes sense. These silent-winged warriors were history's first-ever stealth air fighters. Although incredibly dangerous, the gliders were present for every major Allied operation. The invasion invasion of Sicily, the liberation of France and Holland, the Battle of the Bulge, the crossing of the Rhine River into Germany, and they were present for many operations in the Pacific against the Japanese. Their jobs were so dangerous that senior officers wrote off the glider missions as dead the minute they took off the ground. When aviation was first invented in the early 1900s in North Carolina, the Wright brothers used a glider to fly. You know, not an airplane with motor, just a glider. When motorized flying was invented, though, gliding technology became less popular, uh, got less funding. But it was kept alive mostly by recreational sports that kept them gliding. You know, like parasailing, that kind of gliding. The first use of gliders in combat was thought up by Adolf Hitler himself during the siege of the Belgian fort Eben Emil. General Karl Student of the Third Reich led an elite force of Luftwaffe paratroopers to invade Fort Eben Emil in the experimental and untested combat gliders. Hitler's gamble paid off. 780 Belgian soldiers were had surrendered, with only six German soldiers killed. And then Hitler had a straight shot to France with no opposition in his way. And we all know how that worked out. <laughs> France basically lost really quickly. <laughs> read, read a history book if you didn't know how that one panned out. Hitler knew the advantage glider technology had over paratroop tactics, which paratroops the first time it was used was in World War II. And that was a big part of World War II. But glider was a more specific, more uh, targeted tactic, more efficient where paratroops dropped in in a widespread area with their parachutes and taking time to regroup and get battle ready. Glider technologies allowed troops to all and vehicles and equipment to land in the same area, 
Very quickly, glider missions could be carried out with much more speed and efficiency. Now, the Allies primarily used the Waco CG-4A glider. It was a massive piece of machinery. They were nicknamed Silent Wing, which is a pretty cool code name. World War II is full of co- really cool code names. There's a couple more in this episode. The Waco CG-4A glider could carry 13 fully equipped soldiers, a manned crew, a four-man crew jeep, or a seven, 75-millimeter howitzer gun with supplies and ammo. The Wacos were towed by Douglas C-47 airplanes. They were towed by a cable that doubled as a communications wire between the airplane and the glider, that is, before the glider detached. Unlike motorized airplanes, gliders don't really soar. (laughs) Instead of flight, it's more like a planned fall. Like I said, (laughs) anti-air gunners would just look up and be like, oh, there's that thing that can only go one direction. The Waco glider pilots were towed up to about 500 feet above their landing zone. After being detached from the airplane, pilots had about just 20 seconds to decide where to land. If World War II airplanes were metal eagles soaring through the sky, World War II gliders are more like bricks with wings. (laughs) Now imagine it. You are 500 feet up in the air, hurling through the air in a giant metal box with no engine. 13 smelly paratroopers are behind you, putting their lives in your hands. You get uh, you get a radio transmission from the pilot of the C-47 plane that is towing you, stating, All right, we're nearing our drop zone, detaching tow cable now. You feel the force of the plane leave your glider, and the weightlessness of it all come through your feet. You have 20 seconds to pick a 400-foot field to land in. You look down to the controls you have at your disposal, and all you see is what looks like a toy, uh, like a steering wheel you would see in like a kid's toy, (laughs) and then like two pedals. That's it. And one little marker that says this is how fast you're falling. (laughs) I'm convinced the men who volunteered to get into these gliders were nutcases. 6,000 Allied troops were trained as glider pilots, They were given the possibility of an officer's pay and the opportunity to fly through the sky. They were daredevils. If the thought of planned falling in a giant metal flying coffin didn't convince you how crazy combat gliders were, let me tell you about the snatch pickup tactic. The C-47 planes would fly into enemy territory with a tow pole dangling, just hanging there at the belly of their aircraft. They would look for undamaged gliders they, that had set up their tow cables to be intercepted. Then the C-47s would tow the Waco gliders, typically full of troops, back to safety, like a reverse glider takeoff. What a legendary maneuver that would be to see in real life. There's no runway. You just are sitting there. All of a sudden, a, a plane just picks your metal coffin up off the ground and takes you back. That would be wild. For Operation Overlord, that's the D-Day invasion of Normandy, the glider pilots were up against their greatest threats. Normandy Beach was armed to the teeth with anti-aircraft guns and the fields where it would be most opportune for gliders to land were full of traps. They were known as Rommel's Asparagus, another cool code name. The German army set thousands of 10-foot metal spikes in the ground that would impale the gliders and their passengers. If that wasn't enough, some of these spikes were set up with wired explosives. And most of these pilots, you know, like I said, they had 20 seconds to pick. They're 500 feet up in the air. They can't tell which, you know, they can't tell 10-foot spikes are coming out of the ground or not usually nuts. If you have watched any World War II documentary or read into the Allied invasion of Normandy, you know that secrecy was of the utmost importance for that day. So, radio silence was necessary. On June 6th of 1944, 867 gliders carried out nearly 4,000 Allied troops. 
plus equipment across the English Channel to land in fields as small as 400 feet with ver- with no radio, no communication. A heavily fortified Nazi gun nest was causing massive casualties on the amphibious troops on the beach. So a Waco glider was tasked with transporting a light tank behind the gun's nest position. Attesting to the efficiency of glider operations, the tank was able to take out the gun nest within just two minutes of landing on the ground. That is some hustling. (laughs) The glider pilots that took part in the successful mission of D-Day got a special air medal with a big G in the middle. The G officially stood for glider, but the pilots went on to tell anyone who asked that the G stood for guts, which I thought was cool. The more I do this podcast and read up on history, the more I understand why it is cliche for old, why cliche old guys uh, to be so such big history nerds. I'm quickly turning into a grandpa who sits on the couch and watches World War II documentaries all day. <laughs> but I love it. World War II is the largest known war in human history. The amount of stories that come out of it are seemingly endless. Be prepared for more World War I and World War II episodes on this podcast. Until next time, Huda Thunkers, I really pre- appreciate you listening. We got a couple more countries under our, under our belt. We're at like 44 countries now. It's amazing. Catch you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.